Would you turn in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The theme for the summer is placed by Brother Johnny Deacons in a beautiful banner across the front of the auditorium above the choir. Jesus, there's power in his name. And across the back of the auditorium are listed various activities this summer that will challenge everything about us. In Matthew 1, 21, a verse of scripture that we often use at Christmas. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Another scripture that is related to that is found in Mark chapter 4, verse 41. Shortly after the Lord had calmed the waves and the winds that Brother Lloyd sang about a moment ago. The scripture says this, And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now this morning we want to think about Jesus. There's power in his name. The marvelous, matchless name of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, Let this mind be in you, <clears throat> which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now for just a few moments this morning, I want us to think about the name of Jesus and his names as given in the scripture. And secondly, some estimates that have been given concerning his power and his influence. And thirdly, some illustrations from Scripture that reflect or reveal the power that is in the name of Jesus. There has never been a greater, stronger name than the name of Jesus. Jesus is the New Testament fulfillment to all the Old Testament said about Jehovah or Yahweh. The word Jesus means the same as the word Joshua in the Old Testament. And Joshua was a foretype of Jesus. Those names mean deliverer, or the Lord is our salvation. And as we think about that, we think about the various names that are given for Jesus in the Scripture. He is called the Man of Sorrows, the Lamb of God, the Bridegroom, the Truth, the Life, the Way, the door, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the branch of righteousness. He's called the tree of life, the bread of life, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys, the light of the world, the morning star, the sun of righteousness, a refuge from the storm, a covert 
in the tempest, the rock of ages, the chief cornerstone, the great high priest, the first begotten of the dead, the resurrection and the life, the captain of our salvation, the author and finisher, the Alpha and Omega, the chief among 10,000, the shield, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the righteous judge, a refiner's fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Sometimes the name of Jesus becomes just a shibboleth on our lips. Sometimes that name is used in profanity. More and more and more, people are thinking less and less and less of using God's holy name lightly. And the holy name of God is not only God connected with some condemnation, but the very name by which we know God, Jesus Christ. And we dare not take his name lightly. Listen to what has been said concerning Jesus. Some estimates of his authority and power. To the artist, he is the one altogether lovely. To the architect, he is the chief cornerstone. To the astronomer, he is the son of righteousness. To the baker, he is the living bread. To the banker, he is the hidden treasure. To the biologist, he is the life. To the carpenter, he is the sure foundation. To the builder, he is the chief cornerstone. To the doctor, he is the great physician. To the educator, he is the great teacher. To the farmer, he is the sower and the lord of the harvest. To the florist, he is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. To the geologist, he is the rock of ages. To the horticulturist, he is the true vine. To the judge, he is the righteous judge. To the juror, he is the true witness. To the jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. To the editor, he is the good tidings of great joy. To the oculist, he is the light of the eye. To the philosopher, he is the wisdom of God. To the printer, he is the true type. To the servant, he is the good master. To the student, he is the incarnate truth. To the toiler, he is the giver of rest. And to the sinner, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And to the Christian, he is the Son of the living God, the Savior, the Redeemer of the world. Herbert Lockyer, who wrote the book called The Man Who Changed the World, had this to say concerning Jesus. More than 1900 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. Only once did he cross the boundary of the country in which he lived. That was during his exile in childhood to Egypt. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled the doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the billows as if on payment and hushed the sea to sleep. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries of the country could not hold the books that had been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students. The name of the past, the past proven statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of past scientists, philosophers, theologians have come and gone, but the name of this man, man abounds more and more. Though time has spread 1,991 years, 
between the people of this generation and the scene of his crucifixion, yet he still lives. Herod could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. He stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, feared by devils, as the living personal Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our God. Yes, Jesus. There's power in his name. Now I want us to think for a few moments about illustrations from the scripture that illustrate the power of his name. First of all, turn your Bible to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verses 43 to 49, this reveals that Jesus has the power to know us. Listen to this. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee. He findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Now Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, How knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Now what was, the, what was going on in this illustration? <clears throat> Philip went over and found Nathanael. He said, you come and see everything that, that ever the, the prophets wrote about the Messiah. And so Nathanael came and while he was coming, Jesus said, here's an Israelite in whom is no guile. And Nathanael heard that. And he said, how did you know me? And Jesus said, before you ever were called by Philip, I knew you. And I saw you. And you know what that reminds us of? That Jesus knows us before we ever come to him. He knows all about our need. He knows all about us. He reads our heart. He reads our mind. And day after day after day, he tracks us down. You see, Jesus takes the initiative in our lives. We don't take the initiative. Sometimes we sing, I choose Jesus. But what we really mean is he chose us. He called us long before we came, before our sinful hearts were stirred. Jesus called us and he touched us and drew, him, drew us to himself. And the Lord knows all about you. He knows what can be used in your life by his glory and for his glory. And he knows what needs to be scrapped. And before we ever come, he knows all about us. Yes, Jesus. There's power in his name because he knows everything about us. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up to a holy city, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said, It is written, Thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. 
Again, the devil taketh them up to an exceedingly high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Be gone, Satan. Get thee behind me, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship and serve. Now what is this saying? Jesus has the power in the face of temptation. Not only did he face the temptations himself and became victorious, he didn't give one wit to the devil. He was victorious through all. He just gave the devil the word of God. And the scripture says he was tempted in all points like we are tempted. Therefore, he is able to succor or help those who are tempted. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. What is the special temptation that comes to you? Is it a temptation to discouragement? We all face that. When all the pressures of life are moving in on us, the pressures of final exams, the pressures of getting grades that are acceptable, the pressures of making a living, the pressures of having enough money to pay all our bills, the pressures of illness, either in our own lives or the life of somebody we love, and we get depressed and discouraged and we feel like giving up. Jesus knows all about that. And he said, I'll be with you in it. And I'll give you effective power in the face of temptation. I'll be there. When the trials come, count it all joy, my brethren. When you fall into these various trials, I'll be with you in it all. And I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Are your temptations to drink? Are your temptations to lust? Are your temptations for some old habit that you thought had been given up long time ago and all of a sudden it just marches back in your life and seems to want to take control? Jesus said, I'll be there and I'll help you. I'll secure you. I'll be with you. And you don't have to face it alone. Jesus, there's power in his name. Someone said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees in prayer because he's in touch with God and God is holy. And when Jesus' name is mentioned, the devil takes off. Yes, there's power in the name of Jesus to help us with our temptations. And then, look in John chapter 4 a moment. In John chapter 4, the scripture tells us that Jesus has power to draw us to himself. And he doesn't do it in a scolding way. The Samaritan woman is the illustration. Jesus had walked all the way from Jerusalem to Sychar. He was on his way to Galilee. The ordinary way a Jew in his day would go from 
Jerusalem to Galilee will be to go down to Jericho Road, cross the Jordan River, grow up, go up on the other side of the Jordan, and just south of the, south of the Sea of Galilee, he would cross back and go into Galilee. Thus, he would avoid the hated area of the Samaritans. The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. They hated them. The Samaritans hated the Jews, but not with Jesus. The Scripture says he must needs go through Samaria because he had an appointment there. And he walked to, to, to Sychar. He sat down on, on the old well that Jacob had given Joseph for an inheritance years and years and years ago. And that well has never been dry. It's 125 feet deep. Some of us who went to the land of the Bible drank of that well. It's still there, the same place. And a woman, a sinful woman, came to draw water. And Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? Now listen how the Lord got into her heart. Why she said, don't you know that you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan? We don't have any dealings with each other. Just bitterness, bitterness. Just like a serpent reaching out and stinging at him. And Jesus calmly said, if you knew who it was that asked you a drink of water, you'd ask of him and he'd give you living water and you'd never thirst again. That got her attention. What do you mean, living water, I'd never thirst again? That's right, living water, you'll never thirst again. She got interested. And then Jesus said, go call your husband. Well, that got her attention some more. She said, I don't have a husband. She thought uh, this was an ordinary man. He wouldn't understand Maybe she was offering him some kind of opportunity with her. Jesus said, that's right, you don't have a husband. You've had five of them. You tried one for a while, he didn't satisfy. You tried another, and he didn't satisfy. You tried another, and another, and another. None of them satisfied. And the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. She raised her eyebrows. How in the world does this stranger know all that about me? And yet he didn't seem to be condemning her. He wasn't fussing at her. He wasn't ridiculing her. He wasn't putting her down. He was just trying to help her. Well, the woman changed the subject all of a sudden. She said she, she, she's got religious. She said, now we Samaritans believe that you ought to worship at Mount Gerizim, and you Jews teach that you ought to worship down to Jerusalem. Jesus said, the time is coming when you'll neither worship at Jerusalem nor Mount Gerizim, for he that worships God must worship him in spirit and in truth. What an answer. And this so overwhelmed that woman, she set her water pots down. And she said, I've heard that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus said, I that speak to thee am he. You see, he took the initiative in her life. And so he does today. And he meets us where we are. He doesn't bawl us out and doesn't scold us about all of our past. He just comes and speaks to us in words and ways that we will understand. He doesn't condone our sin. He doesn't compliment us for our sin, but neither does he strike us down. He reaches out where we are and where we hurt and where we have a need. And that woman was so overwhelmed. She said, sir, give me this water that I never thirst again. Setting her water pots down, she ran into the city of Sychar and got all the men with whom she had sinned. And she said to them, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. He's 
the Messiah. And pretty soon all these people began to come out from Sychar. And the scripture says, many of them believed because of the woman. And others believed because they saw Jesus face to face. Now listen, the Lord's name, Jesus, is powerful because he is able to meet us where we are and wherever our need is and whatever our need is and draw us unto himself. He takes the initiative in our lives. And whatever the need you have, he wants to meet it. He wants to help you with it. He wants to strengthen you. If it's a need for cleansing, he's the cleanser. If it's a need for forgiveness, he's the forgiver. If it's a need for comforter, comfort, he's the comforter. If it's a need for encouragement, he's the great encourager. Jesus meets us where we are. Jesus, there's power, power in his wonderful name. And then, I'd like for you to look at Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verses 12 to 15. This is a remarkable little passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 7, verses 12 to 15. Now I want to tell you, the Lord doesn't always do it the same way. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. Every one of your needs. He means that. And an illustration of that is this little nugget of gold found in Luke chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. Now when he came near to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and many of the people of the city were with her. Now you can hardly grasp the meaning of that if you don't realize, you know, today when someone dies, we have government subsidies and we have insurance policies and so on to take care of widows. With all of that, widows have a tough time. But in those days, when somebody in the family, like a son who was able to help make the living, died, that widow had nobody. She had nothing. And the heart of Jesus was moved over this widow woman who had nothing. And her only son died. The only one that could help her at all. And the heart of Jesus was greatly moved. You see, he didn't do this in every instance, but in this particular instance, he was meeting this dear woman's need. And look what he did. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier. And they that bore him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. Now I want to tell you, the Lord has a thousand ways to meet needs. He meets our needs, whatever they are. Are they financial needs? He can meet them. Are they companionship needs? He can meet them. Are they comforting needs? He can meet them. Jesus is equal to every situation. Jesus, there's power in his name. And if we will follow him and put our lives in him, and put our hand in the nail-scarred hand and trust him and not take matters in our own hands. So many times people do that. Somebody has a need, so they, they sit down and scratch their head and think, well, here's how I'll get that need met. So they plan it themselves. 
God stands back and says, okay, if you're going to take care of your own need, do it. But there's some that come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I have this need. It's a big need. And I don't know what to do about it, but I know you know how to supply every need according to thy riches and glory because you said it in the Bible. And then do you know what the Lord does? He moves heaven and earth to meet your need. He'll do it. He'll do it. Jesus, there's power in his name. Trust him. Believe him. I could go on and on. I want to give you another illustration. Look at Luke chapter 8, verses 28 to 35 for just a moment. Luke chapter 8, verses 28 to 35. Now the Lord was crossing the Sea of Galilee and he was going to the Gadarene country. Verse 27, when he came forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man who had demons. For a long time wore no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell before him with a loud voice, said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. Jesus never tormented anybody. The man was out of his mind. He didn't know who God was. You know, people can get so depressed and so discouraged and so distraught that they think God is their enemy. I've, I've talked with people who said, God has let me down. God has disappointed me. That's what this man was saying. Don't torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For often he had, it had caught him and was kept bound with chains and in fetters and he broke the bonds and was driven of the demons into the wilderness and Jesus asked what is thy name and he said legion because many demons were entered into him and they besought him that he would not command them to go out of the deep out into the deep and there was there a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain and they besought him that he would allow them to enter into them and he permitted them then went the demons out of the man and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked and when when they, when they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it to the city and the country. Then they went out to see what was done, and they came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the demons were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now what's that saying? Jesus is able to take your deep depression and your illness, and he'll meet the need. Now, God, the Lord Jesus does not always heal. We didn't know that. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He asked God three times to remove it. God said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. But there are times when God does heal. And we need to tune in to his ability, to his power. Jesus, there's power in his name. Whatever your illness, whether it's depression, whether it's discouragement, whether it's despair, whether it's a, a, a type of one of the viruses, or whether it's a terrible illness or an incurable sickness, plug that thing into Jesus. Jesus is able. And if he doesn't heal you, he's able to give grace to go through it with you. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you all the way. Jesus, there's power in his name. In closing, and I have so many other illustrations. We just go on and on, but I want to give you John 14, 1 through 6. Would you turn there, please? 
John 14, 1 to 6. Jesus began to talk to his disciples about his death on the cross. And they were hurt and broken hearted. They didn't know what to do. They had been with him for three years and they loved him so much. They believed him. And they were weeping. There are times of tears in our lives. If they haven't come to you, they're coming. There'll be tears. I like that scripture in Psalm that says God collects our tears in his bottle. Just symbolically telling us that God knows all about our tears. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5. But here, Jesus began to say to those disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. <clears throat> if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, in the way, ye know. And Thomas said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? Jesus said, you've got tears. You got trouble. All the trouble in the world can't sink a ship unless it gets inside. All the water in the world can't sink a ship unless it gets inside. All the calamities and perplexities and problems that come your way will not down you and defeat you unless you get them inside. And Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house, everything's all right. In my Father's house, everything's all right. There are many mansions, plenty of room. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be. And Thomas said, Lord, that's all good. That's wonderful. But we don't know where you're going. How will you know the way? And Jesus sort of smiled. Why, he said, Thomas, you act like it's some mysterious hard thing. He said, there's not a Catholic way and a Baptist way and a Church of Christ way and a Methodist way and a humanistic way. He said, there's just one way. He said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Jesus is the way home. The way of the cross leads home. Jesus, there's power in his name to close the doors of hell and open the gates of heaven. There's power in his name to expel the darkness that's in your life. There's power in his name to get rid of the habits that have so misled you and destroyed you there's power in the name of Jesus would you trust him now that's what Jesus was saying to Thomas Thomas you say you don't know where I'm going and you don't know how to get there just trust me you believe in God believe also in me I am the way I'm the way I'm the truth I'm the life just put your life in Jesus so how do you do that? The Bible tells us exactly. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
and whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Trust Jesus. There's power in his name. And in Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he able to save to the uttermost all who will come to God by him. May we pray.